I feel like I'm being posed with that question as I, as my kid, I'm raising kids. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and uh, I connect with the Filipino Hawaii side. Uh, I don't speak Tagalog or Visayan. Uh, culturally, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with it. Um, and then there's the Mexican side and then there's the Caucasian side. And I'm looking at all that thinking I, I should study here. I should study here. I should learn to speak these things. And, and I put all this responsibility on myself, but I'm in a place now where I kind of just feel like I'm very familiar with it all. And what do I do with that? How do I, how do I love people where they're at? I do find that people have mixed ethnicity and I wish we had more time to talk about this. I feel like we have a, we were like a liaison of some sort. Like we, we were able to dismantle somebody to a degree because they might not know how to approach us. And I feel like I'm in a unique place of a, somehow I was able to walk, walk through that in love. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Multiracial White Boy Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Noonan. I'm a mixed transracial adoptee from Vietnam. And this is my podcast where I examine the impact of my white upbringing by having personal discussions with other mixed individuals about racial identity. That small audio clip you just heard is from my guest today, actor Sean Passwaters Desierdo. Sean plays Dr. Howie Young on Sweet Magnolias on Netflix. But beyond his character on Netflix, Sean's story, as he says, is movie-esque. It's a story that's full of surprises and twists and turns that are pretty shocking. So as you listen, and you had better pay attention because (laughs) there are a lot of twists and turns, um, you'll realize that his racial identity changed and evolved in its own unique way as he made more discoveries about himself and found out more about his family lineage. Sean had three different fathers come into his life before he graduated high school. So that should give you a pretty good idea of all the things that are to come in this story. Again, three different fathers that were in his life before he even graduated high school. And I don't want to give away too many spoilers. And while... All these events are fascinating and make for a really great movie. They actually happened. And a lot of it is heartbreaking. Really heartbreaking. That a person actually had to go through this. But let me just say, the way that Sean handled it, that he chose to deal with these unusual circumstances with so much gratitude in love, it's truly remarkable. Because when you listen to his story, he could have easily chosen a different way to feel about what he's gone through. He could have been resentful and just emotionally broken. Yet, how he's chosen to handle it and walk through it, as he says, speaks so much about his character as a man, and as a father. This is a great story. This is me and Sean Passwaters Desierdo. I read your your bio because I have everyone send me a bio. I read it about three or four times. I'm still connecting the dots. So, So your mom was in Hawaii, correct? She met... Her husband there. They had a couple kids. 
She met her husband in Ohio. She's from okay, Ohio. Sorry, she's from Ohio. Yes. Um, a little town called Zanesville. And uh, she married a, a guy from her hometown, last name Passwaters, which is where that comes from in me. Got it. So Miss Passwater and the Passwaters go end up in Hawaii. Yes, they have a daughter in Hawaii mm-hmm. or in, uh, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Then it's stationed military wise. He was in the military, Air Force. Uh, and then they get stationed in Hawaii and uh, very young, 1920, somewhere in that realm, uh, a lot of very dramatic relationship. And uh, to, I don't want to go into a bunch of those details, but it's a little abusive on my mom's side. Yeah, you had mentioned that. That's, you know, um, it sounds like why she ended up meeting your biological father, who was in Hawaii at the time. She did. She uh, He was the maintenance man and still is of the of the military commissioned hotel uh near right right across the street from pearl harbor and uh he noticed i think they met there was samoan guys some samoan guys having a big fight and somebody kicked a paint can hit my mom in the leg when she was like pushing a stroller she retreated to her apartment and then he came to check on her and then that's the beginning of their friendship which eventually turned into an affair uh which caused me (laughs) so this is what I'm curious. Okay. So what's the background of your biological father? Is he Polynesian? Is he uh, native American? What, what, what was his, uh, as his ethnicity? He's Filipino. He's hey. Filipino. And what about your mom? She, you said she was Irish native American Cherokee Blackfoot. Yes. Irish and native American, the native American. I mean, she's a very, very fair skinned white, um, dark hair, but, uh, on her mother's side, and probably a little bit on her father's side. There's a Native American twist right there in Ohio. There's actually a lot of Caucasian Native American mix folks. Um, but Blackfoot and Cherokee are the two predominant mixes within her family line. So Irish Native American. So I always thought that that was like where, where my look came from. Because who she married, Mr. Passwaters, blonde hair, blue eyes, red beard freckles or slight freckles uh all-american white looking gentleman like my like my sisters this story can go on and on and i know it's very complicated it's uh, it is but we're gonna we're gonna stay linear i'm gonna try to stay as linear as possible and sprinkle in some personal stuff along the way because it's super interesting um first of all did your father know did her husband know he um uh the filipino affair uh her husband had to know i mean he but he was having other i mean this is all i'm trying to dig from 40 years ago he he was having other relationships and it just wasn't a healthy thing so it he just had, doesn't sound like a healthy relationship period it, with the mother not, and father at the time and i and i still have a hard time understanding why they stayed together but they stayed together and um so they had my daughter who looked like the two of them. They had me who looked like potentially a Native American genetic, you know, abnormality. I don't know how they sold that to each other. Um, and then they had a, yet another daughter after me who had dark hair like my mother, very light skin. What'd you look like when you were a kid? Oh, gosh, I, very, very similar to, to this, I guess. Uh, and, but you were in Hawaii too, but you had to have like a lot of darker skin and... You know, there's a, 
there's Olin Mills shots that we have from when I was a kid or some, some kind of mall shot. And it's like my white sisters. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I'm in like this darker cloud area by myself because they're girls. And then I'm the boy, but it was clear as day, white girls, brown boy. <laughs> I, I thought for sure they adopted me. I thought, and there's nobody, they loved me so much. They didn't want to tell me. I, I, so I never, I didn't pick a whole lot of questions. Uh, but to, to stay linear, they had my older daughter, um, older sister in Ohio. The affair happened in Hawaii uh, pretty early in, I guess. They had me. Then uh, with her husband, she had yet another daughter. And uh, shortly afterward, uh, she got, they got stationed to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They had a, yet another daughter. And then their relationship ultimately crumbled completely. And they got a divorce. I was in third grade at that time. Yeah. So what was your, I guess when your father, presumably he was, you were calling him your father, correct? Yeah. It's hard for me to call any, I have three dads essentially. Yeah. I, the guy who I believed with my dad from birth, um, then my stepfather who raised me from basically around fourth grade up. Amazing. He's my hero. He's, uh, I could talk for days about him. And then, uh, uh, my biological father, who I met when I was 17, uh, and I met him in person uh, for the first time since I was a kid at 18. Yeah, yeah we'll get so to that. Can we call any of those guys dad? Uh, so centered around all the father figures in your life was you looking and appearing different. Did you, how did you navigate around that? And what were the communities, kind of communities you grew up with once you left Hawaii to South Carolina? Well, um, I'll try to stay with the, let's try to stay in, in order here. <laughs> I know you got a lot. <laughs> when you asked about this, I was like, cause I never, I've, I've discussed this story so many times with, with folks and it's movie-esque. Like I, I need to do something with it. Um, a showrunner of my show, uh, she and I talked about it at a great extent and she's encouraging me to really dig in there. So this is helpful, very helpful, Kim. But my mom, when they divorced, she divorced Mr. Passwaters. Uh, so she has three daughters from him and supposedly me. So four kids, they divorced when I was in third grade, kind of a really rough, nasty divorce. Um, she was determined to kind of just make it on her own. So she was a mother, single mother with four kids. Uh, he moved us off the base, the air force base. So now we're in civilian life, um, Myrtle beach and really in a, a really pretty dodgy neighborhood. Yeah. You mentioned that, like how you felt like you grew up poor and your mother was a single mom yeah very very poor um and then we weren't um child support just wasn't happening at a certain point there were there was like a like a fifty thousand dollar in debt child support so like that my mom had no support uh she would starve herself to eat for to i mean she shrunk to almost nothing just to feed us working little odd jobs because you know she was young so she her only other jobs that she had ever had were in ohio and she worked at a grocery store so she was picking up little jobs here and there as like a, an assistant or um, she ended up being a security guard, which is, um, I love this story because she, she was a security guard for a local paper in Myrtle beach. And one of her coworkers, eventually my, my stepfather, he would hit on her and she was super timid about it. Um, and eventually I think, I mean, it was about a year later or something like that. He finally convinced her to go on a date, but she needed him to meet us first. 
And I remember this clear as day. We met outside the Sun News. It's a little paper in Myrtle Beach. And here comes this guy riding up on a motorcycle. So he's already, to a young kid, young boy, this cool guy riding up with sunshades on. Not only that, leather jacket, dark hair, dark skin. So funny because the older self would have been like, who is this douchebag? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I don't even know why. I just accepted it. I just needed a guy. And this is the, like this I, is the Mexican father, correct? He's, he's Mexican. Me- he's uh, Mexican. Is he white in past? Is he, is he darker? Like, what's he like? He's a, he's a, he's a taller Mexican. Um, mm. um, I feel like maybe stereotypically, we, I, I always thought that Mexicans were more, were shorter. Sure. I, I don't even know. Even at that time, maybe I thought that. Um, but so here's this tall and he was, he was built and, uh, and he just, he looks, he's in my mind, he's he-man in that probably I, I, I'm blowing it out of proportion, but that's who he is in my mind. And he rolled up and he had food for my, my sisters and I, and we sat down and we got to meet him and he was super respectful. He, I immediately noticed how he treated my mom and maybe this was a, you know, normal to like be cordial, but like, it just seemed easy. And my sisters took to him. My older sister had a little bit of a, like they always had a bit of a rough relationship, but he worked hard to win her over too. And I think they finally, he finally convinced my mom to marry him after dating him for four years. So this is a slow build to hear, but just to rewind, just a tip tad bit, Passwaters was just out of the picture. We'd occasionally see him. He'd come in for a visit and my mom would always, she wouldn't withhold us from him. Uh, she would always let us see him because he was on and off. He had a he had some drug problems, and so she had to do it with um, with caution. But my stepfather aided in all of that, and he he you know he found it important. He didn't want to like he didn't want a friction relationship. He wanted it to be a fluid thing. He even worked out a situation with my mother to my stepfather sent money finally, or my my real father. See, this is where I get confused. Yeah, even I, like reading about it, I was like, oh my God. So Passwater, the Air Force guy from Hawaii. Yes. Who, um, he was sending you money, finally. He finally sent a child support payment. And I mean, he had sent speckled ones throughout the years, but nothing that really affected anything. But my stepfather worked out a thing where he'd send a payment and then they would send it back and forth until that debt was gone to help him be able to move on with his life and also to, you know, just to, just to finalize things. My meanwhile, Mexican stepfather, he's working, gosh, four or five jobs at a time just to kind of make ends meet. And he helped bring my sisters and my mother and I out of complete poverty. We were very, very, very poor. I know that there's people in all States, but we were, I mean, we'd all sleep in the living room because it was too cold and my mom would heat bricks in the, in the oven uh, and the oven that was still on because she baked Cheerios and that would be our dinner for that night. And we, we didn't know any of it. It was like, she always made it fun. So she was, yeah, able to kids, like, you don't know at that point. Right. Yeah. And that sounds odd. And there were probably other resources, but she was exhausting. Like every outlet and Rudy came in and he literally saved us. Otherwise we probably would have had to move. Uh, and that would have been the other option to move back to Ohio. But I think my mom was very determined uh, to just plant her feet and, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of questions that I that I continue to have for my mom. It just makes me think because I, I have two kids now, and I I couldn't imagine doing that alone and not immediately going to family for resource. And yeah, so I want to go to your your high school year, senior year, excuse me. 
Um, at this point, your family's doing better. Your mom's doing better financially. Your, your stepfather now is the Mexican guy. And what's his name? His name is Rudy. Rudy. So Rudy kind of works his way out of poverty or just, or just to more of a working middle-class lifestyle. Is that fair to say? Yes. Hardest worker I know. He taught me all the work ethic that I have. Nice. So you're having a Hawaii party. You want to have a Hawaii party. Okay. And you probably feel Hawaiian too, because, Hey, you grew up there when you're, you know, it's a crucial part of your life, but then you're going through photo albums and what happened? Uh, yeah, so I was seeking out photo albums. My mom used to, one of her survival jobs in Hawaii, she was a huge Tupperware, apparently really good at it. She won a car and, you know, so she had big Tupperware parties. So I remember knowing that. So I was looking at her old photo albums from Hawaii that were all super Hawaii decorated. And I was just looking through just to see, all right, what should I make my house look like for this party that I'm throwing for some high school friends? And then and as I was looking through these albums, I was realizing, man, I looked a lot like these folks. Like I fit in pretty well then. My sisters kind of stuck out in some of these pictures, like clear as day. And then as I continued in this photo album, realized it was just me with this family, these families. Uh, and then I kept flipping and then eventually it was pictures of just this guy. And then at the tail end of this photo album, there was a picture of this guy. It was, a, it was like a high school or school picture of some sort, had his name on it and had his age. And it looked like me. I was 17. He was 17 in the picture. It was, I mean, what did you look like at this point when you were a 17 high school senior? I, in my mind, I thought I was native American. Uh, so I, 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 I think at the time I have, I might've had long hair, <laughs> uh, long hair. Did you consider very, yourself a person of color though? Very much so. Um, and I was yeah. always in the sun. And literally I was, I was, yeah, I was always in the sun. So I was how did they keep that from your, how did your mother keep that from your brothers and sisters though? Did, did they know about this biological father out there though? They had to have they, it. No, nobody did. It was just no, a weird did. elephant in the room that no one discussed. It's somehow the, the divorce kind of alluded, like somehow that everywhere we were just happy to, to be, or she was happy to be out of that. She seemed happier. Rudy, my stepfather, who was just, we just took to him. So we stopped asking questions and a bit, and I was totally makes like, sense. So once you're just with a family, you don't start asking these kind of questions are you're just going along and you're living life. Yeah. And trust me, I, I don't know why I didn't ask those questions. I know all I know is that Rudy was enough. But and you, even, but you did when you found that photo though of your father. So here's another your biological piece. father. So my, my mom was actually in Ohio at the time visiting some of her family. And Rudy was home and I, and I, I approached him about it. I'm like, who's this? Like, this is, I mean, this is, was I adopted? Is this my, and I kind of like threw that out there and he's like, I have never seen this before. I have no idea. And we searched through it all. We looked up the name on the photo. He, Rudy used to do some police work in Chicago back in the day. Uh, he's done every imaginable job, but he, he researched it and found out that they lived in, in Hawaii. So we, he called my mom and she freaked out. She like she pulled the photo albums. That's the reason why I was able to find them. She had pulled them up because the older I got, the more I began to look like my father. Um, So she was planning on telling me. I just happened to discover it. But she also hadn't talked to Rudy about it. So she she drove to Ohio. So she immediately jumped in her car and drove back to South Carolina, thinking that all right, her marriage is probably going to be on the rocks. She's going to have to explain this to all of her children, and it's going to be a disaster. 
but uh, we got she got home and her and Rudy had a big long talk about. I mean, I'm, I imagine they talked about everything under the sun, but it was more of a hopeful thing. I was just I was happy with Rudy. I wasn't angry, um, but I really wanted to reach out and contact this person. So they did. They called and got my little sister, whom I'd never met, on the phone. Uh, my father has a little bit of a broken English. He's a uh, He's very, I mean, he can completely communicate, uh, but uh, a little, a little bit more of a broken, his heavy accent, I should say. So uh, they finally got on the phone. They talked for a little while and he, he's like, I knew one day he'd reach out, you'd reach out and he knew the exact number of days. <laughs> so strange. He knew the exact number of days since he had last saw me. She took me to see him um, right before we left Hawaii. Yeah. You mentioned that. So, Okay. And he thought that I and my little sister, Rebecca, might be his. And uh, I, guess, uh, I guess they had a little relationship for a while, for a while there. But um, uh, uh, like she tried to keep the marriage together. I know he sent her a couple messages in code, like he uh, maybe, maybe Tagalog or something like that. Or, um, but uh, it just, she really like put distance there. And uh, she and I have yet to kind of fully like carve that conversation out. Um, this is hard for her to talk about. This is embarrassing for her. Uh, I love yeah, my and she, was, and she was young. Very young. And, and uh, she pro- like, who knows what it's like to be 20 years old and you're in an abusive relationship. I mean, I would flock to the next guy <laughs> yeah. too. And especially someone that was kind to you, but do you feel because of how you've been brought up and how you've, you've, you've looked different, you have a different racial identity from your brothers and your sisters and your mom. Do you want to have the talk with your mom eventually? We, um, yeah, we've had a lot of these conversations. Um, gosh, this gets more and more complicated, but, uh, one of the other reasons she didn't discuss it with me earlier in is that Mr. Passwater's father, so my grandpa Passwater's, I claim him 100%. He had three sons. All of his sons had daughters. And supposedly I was the only grandson. And he knew, but he loved my mom. He, he, he thought my mom was good for his son. And so he, and he loved my mm. sisters. And he always like, he clung to me. He, they, they, they live in Florida or lived in Florida. And uh, he, he really built into me like, and he sold the story heavily. Passwaters is the last name. So he sold it big time, you know, native American. Yeah. You, know, you just happen to look like that. doesn't matter. You're my grandson. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. You're going to carry on our name. He's the kind of grandpa that would like find out what our skill sets were. And he would really like zone in on that. He was a, a machinist in the Navy. And then uh, when he retired, he made his own tools and became a wood woodsman, like a carver and noticed that I was an artist and like, like would always supply me with supplies and was it like we'd carve together. And, and that's he, probably you know, why your mom had difficulty leaving. She had difficulty leaving. When you have other affection toward other family members. Okay. So I want to allow me to at least jump to, you know, you had the party. Yes. But then you eventually you met your biological father. And at what point 
in time is this? Senior year, post senior year? It was my senior year. Uh, just I had, I planned to go to Cancun with a senior class. I mean, <laughs> so I canceled that trip and decided to go to Hawaii. And By yourself? I actually went with my girlfriend at the time. Okay. And um, to visit your biological dad too? Yeah, as I didn't want to go alone. I uh, I was going to, like my siblings were, like could have went with me maybe, but uh, it just felt like something I needed to do. And I was pretty close to my girlfriend and one of my best friends at the time. He, he ended up having to go... Uh, he went off to college, one of my good friends. It was going to be the three of us. And then it just up being my sister, my, my girlfriend and I. And we did. We met. And it was like a two-week party. Every imaginable person. Yeah, how, how was that? You said they really just completely embraced you. They did. They did. We had a lot of phone conversations before that. Even that actual So the skeletons party. were out. Like, who cares? This is my son. Yeah. Here yeah. he is. Cause he had already, he had moved on. Uh, he waited four years to see if my mom would ever come back or reach back out. And then he ended up meeting a, a Filipino Hawaiian lady in, in Hawaii. They got married and they had two children. So I have a sister and a brother out there. Um, so did you feel more, did you feel kind of a sense of connection culturally to who you were all these years? And finally you're around these kind of people. Sort of. I don't know, but then you grew up in Hawaii too. Well, I was, I was there until I was, uh, till th- third, third grade. Well, no, I was there until just before kindergarten. Okay. Okay. Then well, we, all right. Yeah. So I was young and, uh, I knew that I was from there, but I identified as a native American until my stepfather came into the picture. And then I kind of adopted him, him and he's Mexican and my grandma Rosie and all this, all of his siblings, um, my aunties. I just so you, culturally felt like. Let me jump in here. Hold on. So you 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 spent a good amount of your years identifying as Native American. Very much so. And I and I am. Did you get any shit for it? Growing up in the south, in the south, yes. Um, I was going to say the south. That's right. In in South Carolina and the southeast, um, there was. I mean, there's always a lot of black white racial tension. Yeah. Um, and then there's a there's there's a there's even more under the underlying tension against Hispanic, strangely enough. Um, as if like, I don't know, it was like this other category where this other category were coming in, taking jobs. At least that was the persona. Yeah, so well, I grew up in San Diego. Yes. Heard that yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's just so many fascinating different facets happening at once. <laughs> I'm sorry that this is with so. You, with your, don't even apologize, yeah. man. Um, okay. <laughs> So let's, if you allow me to shift back, let's go to the reunion. Okay. Um, so I'm spent- identifying as Native American, then to Mexican. And then now all of a sudden I'm put with this question of like, it's starting to lock in a little bit. Oh yeah. And I'm not putting, I'm not putting it as Filipino all of a sudden. It just felt like, it felt Hawaii to me. When I go to Hawaii, I feel like Filipinos are 80% of the island almost. And it just feels like Hawaiian. Uh, obviously, that's not accurate, but um, my family in Hawaii, there are hundreds of them. My dad is one of eight. And uh, I mean, everyone has big families and they're all different cultures. There's Japanese in there. There's Samoan. Uh, there's other Polynesian cultures. Um, Portuguese. I'm starting to like breathe that in. And my, my little siblings that are there look at, I mean, they're at the time they were nine and 10, I believe. 
they were, I mean, they looked up to me immediately. I was their long lost big brother and it was strange. I had to warm up to all of that. And my stepmother there. So even though you never grew up with them and you have a biological connection to them, you're referring to them as sisters. Well, that's, and they're uh, referring to you as brother. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's Hawaii culture. Everybody like, a, I mean, mm-hmm. you could come over with me and now all of a sudden you're an uncle. Oh, it would never be that way here. It's so, you know, because I have Vietnamese family, biological, and it, it's it's really hard to call them my brother and sister, to be honest with you, because I didn't grow up with them. It, well, in the white culture, it's strange. So yeah. I remember all my white family, my sisters, uh, one by one, they would come over with me. So when they would graduate, I'd bring them to Hawaii to meet my side of the family. Um, and they would just adore it. It was just, it was it was out of context from what we grew up around. Um, there were, I mean, we joke around with terms like howly, and that means ghost, and that's probably racist to a degree. Or there's a, but there's a howly aspect to white people coming to Hawaii. I think that's like a slang term. So I'm not sure how comfortable I am with it, but I remember feeling I'm being being told by my uncles jokingly that oh, I'm a hapa howly, like I'm a half ghost. Um, and that was funny for a long time. I remember feeling that. And, but I was connected to my, my Hawaii side, but then connected to my white side. And I'm right there in the middle. And uh, that's, that's actually how it is with all my siblings. I'm, there is my, my biological parents just had me and then everybody else has had. So I look at my white sisters and I see myself and I look at my brown brothers and, and sister and I see myself to a degree. I can even look at my Mexican brother who's Rudy's son, Rudy, um, and see my mom in him, which I can see me. It's sad sometimes when I think about it, it would be really nice to have actual siblings and maybe you feel the same to a degree, but uh, somehow it didn't matter. It's starting to matter more when I look at my kids and I want to have a lineage. Um, but it started to really unfold for me. They just embraced me as they do. It, there can be the hardest thing in the world, a divorce or some sort, or, you know, somebody's fighting or a death and they just absorb. I think one of my uncles had a, had a drug battle and eventually perished because of it. And the family just absorbed. They absorbed it. The Hawaii side. Your dad, your biological father. Yes. What were those discussions like? He, uh, every time we get together, we have these long and he's a, he's like me, actually. He's a, he's a thinker, big time thinker. So he'll think he'll have all these concepts in his mind and he will just want him. He he's throughout the gosh, almost two decades now of knowing him. He's, he's tried to take and seize moments where he really feels like he needs to give me this token of information that'll help me in life. Um, we're, he's a, he's a, he's a Christian as am I. So he'll like send, he'll like make sure I know a certain thing. And I know he knows that I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good place. Uh, Lauren and I are ever, my wife and I are ever fighting about something he can tell. And he would, he's that guy with like the gentle words of like wisdom that'll just pause me or calm me. But he's always been incredibly respectful of my stepfather. Like he doesn't, he knows he's my dad and he's proud of me, but he knows that Rudy raised me and they get along great. But he, he, um, he knows I have a special relationship with Rudy. He's not a jealous type at all like at all. Um, if anything, he, he just adds and it's, uh, 
I don't know how to tell this story linearly. I don't know how to tell it. When I sit down with folks and we're like my wife and I have friends over and we'll have wine night and we're sitting around the fire and people just ask. It gets into this large, big story and then people are crying and I'm crying and and it, I, I, you know, I don't like to spin it to make it be, to be this big happy thing, but it, it is a happy thing. It's a very, um, I have photos of my mother and my father. It could have gotten dark really quickly <laughs> in so many ways, <laughs> in so many dark, weird ways that honestly usually go that way. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know why it didn't. I mean, I, I've had Vietnamese sisters track me down. I've had Vietnamese brother. I've had, but never where it seems like there was a curiosity on your part to really become fulfilled and be bold enough to bring your high school sweetheart there with you to go on this journey and find out more about yourself. So when you, at, well, you didn't ask necessarily, but when we talk about this idea of identity, I think what I was fighting through as a kid, I, you know, knowing my genetic makeup was, was kind of a back, um, backseat issue for me. It was more, I identified as being poor. I was poor and I was yeah, in you mentioned that, right. class and Rudy helped us come up a little bit. Um, but I still felt a little lesser nobody in my family had gone to college i ended up staying and going to college um well you mentioned that you you got into diversity into college while yeah. you were in college why did you why'd you get into it because I, I was i did maybe one or two things and then i was just like oh, forget about this like i just <laughs> i just wanted to stay in my white space or whatever so you you seem like you wanted to embrace all those sides that you kind of weren't able to embrace when you were growing up. Yeah. I, um, all through my high school year, I was cultivating this portfolio art. I was very a visual artist. I did a lot of painting and drawing. And uh, so I was cultivating this portfolio and I, I, um, had already reached out and was planning on going to Ringling in Sarasota, Florida, uh, for graphic design. Then I met my dad and my whole Hawaii family. And it just cracked open something to me. The art was my way of expressing myself through photography or through, through visual art. But all of a sudden I felt like I was already expressing myself and looking at myself and these people. So I stayed in my hometown uh, growing where I grew up in Myrtle Beach and went to Coastal Carolina University and just, uh, just launched in before I ever picked a major, I launched in just learning. And I remember navigating myself to other cultures. Uh, there were programs for diversity and whatnot. Uh, and it was always easy. If that, Throughout all my schooling, and I went to school a lot of different places, this will, that'll be a bird walk if I were to talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, my, my undergrade or my grade school era, my, my family moved around a bit. But it was always easy for me to approach different groups of people. Um, I didn't always feel like I belonged as a white person because I wasn't white. My family was white, except for my step Mexican stepfather. So I kind of knew there was like a it was always like a arm's distance, but it was easy for me to talk because I didn't have an accent. I wasn't, I felt very Caucasian, very white. And there's a privilege in that uh, in certain realms, but I always felt like I was a bit of a bridge. Like uh, there's a black, white tension in the Southeast. If you're an Asian guy or a, you know, brown skin guy in the middle of it, somehow you're a safety. 
I don't know, that seemed to be something that, so I always found humor in that. When I got to college, there was a little bit more of a melting pot. And I joined some diversity groups, ended up running the student government. Um, so I was in, I was able to just visually see it. I'm a very shy person in general. Like, uh, so acting is a, I can, I can, if I have a role or a, or a job, it's much easier for me to communicate. One-on-one is, I love this. This is what I prefer. But when it comes to groups, I need to have a, something I, to, to do. So I found myself in this leadership position in student government where I could kind of take it all in. So it was nice to see the different groups that represented different diversity groups within the college. You know, there were, diversity was all kinds of things. It wasn't just race. It was, you know, gender identity. And What did you learn about yourself, you know, during that time? During that time, I realized that, that I somehow I escaped having these built in like um, mechanisms that made me automatically ostracize people. Like I always felt on the outside. So for me, it was always as if I was trying to approach in Um, even with my own sisters, you know, I, I was always trying to fit in. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't putting them over here and me over there. I was just trying to be white or not, they were Native American too. So I would I'd try to be inclusive. In, uh, so I learned a lot about that. And ultimately I found myself being more comfortable in my own skin. I was just going to say, you've been pulled in so many directions and I know this, like the back of my hand, that behavior response of what you were doing. So who are you now in the middle that com- that's, <laughs> that's comfortable in your skin? Like what, you know, through, through all this, I guess. Um, Gosh, I could say that I, I'm still on this journey of figuring it out, but I feel very, very fortunate to have such a mixed social history or uh, social status history, a very mixed uh, genetic makeup. Um, that's a, who am I now? I'm an artist traveling with a family now. And uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to play roles and tell stories. Yeah. Uh, and it's still ongoing for you, obviously. Yeah. All of this. When we look at the world in general, there's all, I mean, obviously I'm now, I'm, I identify as Asian, Asian American, Asian Caucasian. Um, what about the Native American? The Native American side is kind of a, definitely taking a backseat. I'm, uh, I'm aware of it. Like uh, as a, in, in the acting realm, there's always opportunities. So agents will reach out and be like, Hey, you know, how much Native American? And they really like, capitalize on that. Does it feel weird though now, especially like the moment that we're in? Cause like, you know, I feel like Native Americans, you can't fuck around with that. Like they've been through so much. <laughs> like if you even go there, you better like, represent because they they don't mess around like especially now that they're coming a little more emerging in hollywood which i love we need it um but it's not like you know when i first started acting you know in the early 2000s where you could be latino you could be anything and i'm glad that they're not settling for that anymore so you've moved outside of that but you still but but you you spent an entire lifetime mostly identifying that and that it was that to give yourself a sense of individuality too it, it yes actually but it all come unraveled in college and then ultimately as i moved to new york just afterward uh, i mean i 
I was at the point in college where I just met my Hawaii side of the family and realizing that identity, but also filling out like financial aid, you know, paperwork. And then there's all these marks of like, if you're Native American, you should fill this out and then, you know, go get tested and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I just felt like that's wrong. I, it, and it felt weird because I don't, I, it would have been a no brainer. Yes, I'm Native American. I, I, I need to figure, I need to trace it that more. But it all of a sudden, it was like, it was like, um, I didn't need that. Um, I probably financially needed that, but I, <laughs> I didn't need that uh, to identify with. And it might it, actually. It, it, it's it funny might. how it becomes to, it comes to that moments like that though. When, well, you, when, we're, when we're put on that spot, and where it could help us too. Yeah, I got, well, my first, uh, so I dabbled in pursuing acting to a small degree while attaining my business marketing degree at Coastal. And uh, we lived in South Carolina and um, a lot of movies were shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, 45 minutes away. And I remember uh, being pulled out of the lobby by one of the casting directors, Mark Fincannon, had long hair at the time in college again. And uh, he's like, are you Native American? He kind of pulled me aside. I'm like, technically, I mean, I'm here knowing that I'm mostly Filipino and white. It was like, yes, technically, and past waters. And, you know, we kind of went through that whole route. And he um, he started reading me for Cold Mountain. Uh, it's a movie back in the day. Oh, yeah, back in Jude Law. And um, yeah, Ang Lee did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was, uh, I was super green, but he was really working for working me in this uh, over the script and we were reading it personally and we went back and forth for about a week and then I ultimately auditioned for it but it was for the part of swimmer Jude Law's character in the book uh had grew up with this Native American guy that actually ended up going to war with him and everything he was one of his hometown buddies and but I remember him Mark was pressing you know into the Native American side of me he's like you know do you do like what Native American I'm like Cherokee Blackfoot he's like perfect Cherokee is what we're looking for I'm like yeah but I I don't know anything about Cherokee culture like I I didn't haven't and I was honest with him about it at that time and ended up not going anywhere probably because I was green but I remember feeling so oddly like confronted about it yeah yeah, oddly confronted in it and then if I I could have lied or I could have like leaned into it and maybe oh, you totally of course you could have okay so then how did you after that moment then and now you consider yourself and identify yourself more as asian american how did you make that shift and feel comfortable in your skin as a result of it uh, well I, I just assumed oh gosh that's a tough question i i assume that there would be more roles you know, in the Southeast, actually, I kept running into walls. I wasn't white enough to play a lot of the roles and the type of things they would shoot down there. I wasn't Asian enough, and I definitely wasn't Native American, or I was Native American looking enough, but I didn't identify with it. So I kind of automatically excluded myself from some of that. It wasn't until I got picked up by ABC uh, in the diversity showcase. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. And it, it, it created a world of opportunity for me and they ended up helping me move to New York city. Um, and but, did, but didn't the moments with your father also helped you make that adjustment? It did. It, it, it well, both fathers, um. at least the two that I love. <laughs> <laughs> there is love that I have and I can't get rid of it, but there is love that I have for Mr. Passwaters. Um, he was always kind to me and probably more kind to me than he was to his, his daughters. And that, 
that pains me because uh, I, I watch my daughter, my sisters have like broken hearts their whole life because why won't their father love them? He's just a, I don't know. It's a very challenging thing, but I will always have a, a love for him. It's just a different kind of love than I have for my hero, Rudy, my stepfather, and ultimately my real father. Those are easy. Those are, I want more of that. And, uh, well, especially now that you're a father, has it put things in a heavier perspective? It does. It really does. I had a, I find myself when I when I when I make some kind of achievement or I have a film success or something, and he says he's proud of me. It it like it does something in my soul that like I don't know, like I didn't get growing up or something. I, it it really like it's like all of a sudden I'm a little boy that got some affirmation, and I'm tearing up thinking about it. Um, either of my fathers that I, Rudy or uh, Nestor is my real father's name. Uh, those guys can, you know, and they can, if they were to ever have a harsh word with me, it would affect me for the rest of my life. It, uh, they, they can speak words and they, and they, and they hold that, that, that power, that influence in my life. Uh, they, I think they cherish it too. That's what I gather. Cause they've never abused that. It's always been, they've always been proud of me. And I'm, and I'm, I seek that. I want to end this on a specific image of you or that you have or word because you've, it's so interesting because I didn't see it coming where you spent a great deal of your time identifying as a Native American. Now you mostly identify as Asian American and partly because this business too, but at the same time you've done your work. So what work on yourself? Do you have to do more for your racial identity? Do you feel like there's more? I do. I, um, cause you got a lot of stories happening on, you know, in your roots. I do. I feel, I feel like I'm being posed with that question as I, as my kid, as I'm raising kids, I have a six year old and a four year old and, uh, I connect with the Filipino Hawaii side. Uh, I don't speak Tagalog or Visayan. Uh, culturally, I'm I'm getting more comfortable with it. Um, and then there's the Mexican side, and then there's the Caucasian side. And I'm looking at all that, thinking I I should study here. I should study here. I should learn to speak these things. And and I put all this responsibility on myself. But I'm in a place now where I kind of just feel like I'm very familiar with it all. And what do I do with that? How do I how do I love people where they're at? I do find that people of mixed ethnicity and I wish we had more time to talk about this. I feel like we have a, we were like a liaison of some sort. Like we, we were able to dismantle somebody to a degree because we not, we might not know how they might not know how to approach us. And I feel like I'm in a unique place of a, somehow I was able to walk, walk through that in love. And I can give that, I can, I can offer that to, and I want my kids to know that, you know, we, they're, they're a little less mixed than I am. It kind of, I want to say it waters out, waters down a bit, but I feel like it's a responsibility that I'm happy to walk forward with. And as an actor, I get the opportunity to, to play roles of whatever degree of ethnicity, but it's becoming a little bit easier than more. Gosh, I feel like I'm talking in circles here, but. Um, no, it makes a lot of sense, especially because the responsibility part, because you feel, a, I'm like, that's why I started this thing. I felt the responsibility, first of all, to myself, 
because I grew up in so many white spaces. I grew up wanting to be white. I grew up hating being Asian. It's something I'm still working through. I hate being adopted. I'm still working through it. And to approach it with the responsibility of love and self-compassion takes a lot of cojones. Because the way I grew up, the way males are supposed to grow up, you're supposed to toughen it out and not give a shit and bury it. And that's the easy route to go. That's the fucking easy route to go. The way you're going about it is like, I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to love myself. And I'm going to accept all these things about me underneath this story. And I'm going to still water it once in a while. I like the way you put that. I, uh, it's definitely going to be something I always water. I have definitely hated being both. I've hated being one or the other. But I definitely am in a place now where I, I, I love that about myself. And I look at my wife and she loves that about me. And I didn't trust her earlier in our marriage. We've been married for a little while now. Um, but I didn't trust that she loved me because I was different. Uh, did she love me because of who I am, though? Like, Because uh, I'm not Asian. I'm not white. I'm both. But does she love me because of where I've come? And that's what I've realized she has been reflecting to me. I hope you all enjoyed that story. Thank you again, Sean, for coming on the Multiracial White Boy Podcast and and putting yourself out there and sharing this truly remarkable story for our listeners. Okay, everybody, once again, my name is Kim Noonan. I'm the host of the Multiracial White Boy Podcast. Please remember to subscribe And most importantly, write a review of the podcast. Let me know what you thought of this podcast episode about Sean's story. I would love to know. Again, please write a review of the podcast. Those reviews go a long way. And also follow us on Instagram at Multiracial White Boy. Follow us. I'm always posting content about the stories of the people that have come on this podcast that are mixed in who just share in go all out and are so brave in sharing their story. Again, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate and love the guests that come on here. They, they educate me and they are my, they are my therapist. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Remember, um, podcast episode every other Thursday. So not every Thursday, but every other Thursday, just check in and follow us on, you know, Instagram and you will get the 411. Okay, everybody. Have a great couple weeks. Hope you guys are hanging in there. This pandemic, man. God, I want it to end. Just end it like a band-aid. Rip it off. You guys take care. Thank you.